That makes sense. Oh. Nope. Nope. Dine. Okay, turn it. Oh, there it is. Are we gonna leave it? Ah, we'll leave it up to Alex. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name is Marshall. Hey. Hey. You're staring at the computer like you're not sure. That's a huge... Look at that. that. Look how big that is. Yeah, there's a big spike there, isn't there? It's fine. But now you're talking and it's fine. Yeah. This, is, right. this is irrelevant information for everyone listening, but it's... Anyone wants to... A screenshot of the uh, the sound waves as we record. Tim's making waves. Just, just send a message to Alex. He's happy to take those screenshots for you. Tim is making waves. All right. Okay. So, so far, mm-hmm. in our year of apologetics, mm-hmm. we have done general revelation. Yep. That a, that a God could exist based on logic and reason. Should exist. Should exist. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then we've moved on to special revelation. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the Bible as a book. Yep. Set apart from other religious books. Right. We've said that it is well documented. It is. It is accurate. It is. As it was originally written, mm-hmm. far and beyond any other text that history has ever projected. Um, but the question remains, is it the word of God? Let's find out. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, what did you think I was going to do? Follow that up with, thanks for listening. This podcast. (laughs) Okay. Good. Do your thing, man. Do your thing. All right. So, so today what we want to talk about are four words. Mm. that we wrap around Scripture when we want to talk about the doctrine of Scripture. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about inspiration, yep. inerrancy, infallibility, and authority. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah. Inspiration. inspiration. What does inspiration mean? Well, that depends. Yeah. I mean, what inspires you, Tim? Yeah. What are what are the things in life that just make you feel and make you think? Marshall, right? did you know that if you get a job doing what you're passionate about, you'll never go to work a day in your life? <laughs> That's inspiration. I love what I do, but there are days where it still feels like work. There is no passion that the human conscience can carry to that degree. Yeah. We're just not made that way. Sure. That is a great Instagram post. It's awesome for a cat poster <laughs> in an elementary school classroom. Right. Whatever. If you talk it's to a the, false concept. Yeah, if you talk to the greatest musicians, the greatest actors, they love what they do. Mm-hmm. It still works some days. Yeah, I I, I may not know this, but I like music. You do. I like musicians. Yeah. I've listened to so many musicians talk about how exciting it is to go to the recording studio to create new things. And then you spend the next 10 years playing those same songs over and over again. 
Those songs that you wrote recorded in a week, <laughs> you just play them for the rest of your life. And if you're a one-hit wonder, yeah, you put out all this other stuff, and people are like, "No thanks, just play, do that one, do the can you, one." Can you do the? Can you do the one? <laughs> and they have to save it for the encore, or else everybody will go home. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> everything becomes work. So inspiration, not in the sense, yeah, that these people who authored the scripture. Mm-hmm were just so moved, right? so passionately moved mm-hmm. by the presence of God right? that they wrote down what was coming to them. Yeah. Now, it's not necessarily less than that, but it's more than that. I mean, obviously, they, they were moved by the presence of God, right? In, in the sense of, like, this was meaningful and important to mm-hmm. them and significant to them. But it's when we talk about the inspiration of scripture, we're not talking about being like inspired by a great documentary that you watched or, you yeah, know, it's not impassioned. It's not even just like being inspired, like, you know, e- even in the sense, even in the sense of pastoral ministry, right? Like there's been, um, you know, certain themes and subjects that have come up in, you know, my relatively short pastorate so far that I feel like, hmm, maybe that is, you know, maybe those things would make a book someday. Yeah. You know, but this it's not the same degree of inspiration. And in fact, this this idea of inspiration and and the kind of the, the disconnect that exists when we think about the inspiration of scripture and how we might confuse that with how we're inspired by other things mm-hmm. is is partly partly caused by the King James. I'm going to throw the King James under the bus here. Beca- All right, explain. Because in 2 Timothy 3.16, in the King James Version, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, again, we have to understand stuff that was written 400 years ago mm-hmm. is going to have, the, the English word's going to have slightly different meaning, but Sproul would say that when it comes to God's word, it's more about expiration rather than inspiration. Right. Because what the Greek says and what the NIV and ESV both say is that in that same verse is that it is breathed out by God. It is theopneustos. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so rather than it being something that, that, is ba- that is centered on the individual writing— who is inspired by this external force, who is God. Right. This is something that God breathes out and uses a human agent to put it down. Right. So inspiration is the discussion of how the Word of God was received and then collected. Right. Yeah. So I, I want to give you a couple of uh, a, a couple of ways in which people believe this has taken place that uh, are not necessarily options that we're going to put forth, okay. but options that people might come across. Okay. The first one is natural inspiration. Natural inspiration is a false view of inspiration that teaches that these men were just particularly gifted writers. Yeah. Uh, they had particular insights and intelligence. They were wise, and they collected these writings. Okay. Next, spiritual illumination. The Illumination view suggests that some Christians may have had spiritual insight that, although similar to other Christians, is greater in degree. 
And so they wrote those things down for everyone else. Right. Right. Who's not at the same level. A different level. Yeah. The the first one, the first one is very much humanistic philosophy. Right. The second one is very much tears of spiritual illumination. Okay. Uh, Thirdly, partial or dynamic inspiration Mm. uh, that parts of the Bible are inspired. Anything that has to do with faith is inspired. Mm. Everything that has to do with history or pla- people, places, or things, uh, natural things are not inspired. Okay. Uh, what are we on from before? Yep. Conceptual inspiration. The big idea was gifted by God. The details are f- filled in by man. Okay. Uh, divine dictation. Right. Okay. Yes. The idea that uh, we got to talk about that some more. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, idea. No, the yeah. idea that God sat there and just read these things out. Right. And people were scribbling as fast as they could right. to keep up. Right. And then there's the neo-orthodox opinion, mm. which emphasizes that the Bible is not to be exactly equated with the Word of God because God does not speak in mere propositions. Mm. Uh, God does not reveal mere facts about himself. He okay. reveals himself. So the Bible is a list of things about God, but God is so much more. Right. Uh, so we're That's careful so ne- with yeah. how we... That's so of, neo-orthodox, though. Of course God It's is like more. better than the liberal interpretation, but it's not as good as the, the true interpretation. Right. <laughs> so Karl Barth. Yeah, so, so I see what he's trying to do. He's yeah, trying to elevate God above the Bible. Sure. Fine. Yeah. That's not something specific to God. Right. You mentioned if you were to write a book, right? Right now, we're preaching based on Ian Valancourt's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've met Ian. I know Ian. You have him as a professor. Yeah. Uh, Ian great. is more than his book. Did you yes. know that? <laughs> what? <laughs> right. It's, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so these, these are, are six variations of inspiration that exist Mm-hmm. Uh, today, we're going to focus not so much on these bad interpretations and more on what we would receive, which right. is the plenary view. Yeah. But, and I think it, it's worth mentioning that like people need to understand like the, the types of perspectives that are floating around in regards to what the Bible is. Like when, when we equate the scripture with the word of God. Mm-hmm. So, so... All of those views are different perspectives on how how Scripture came about. As far as what Scripture is now, amongst people who would claim to be Bible-believing Christians, there are some who would say that Scripture contains the Word of God. Yeah. So th- there is the Word of God. There is a divine revelation that is found within Scripture— but is not scripture as a whole. Yeah, that that kind of goes with the dynamic view. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 And all of these are going to kind of line up to some to some degree, but it's just another angle of looking at this. Mm-hmm. The other is that it becomes the word of God over time. That over time, as these things are put together piecemeal, they collectively become something that is a revel revelatory truth for mm-hmm. the church. Again. 
over time, but in in their parts are less than that. Yeah, these people get into the discussion of whether or not we should use the word scripture or scriptures, right? Mm, Were they individually inspired and received from their beginning as scriptures, or are they a singular scripture that has been culminated and thus blessed? Right. And the perspective, the faulty perspective that I would say that that is probably most viable or most believable, I guess mm-hmm. I could say, is that they are a witness, that, that the written word is a witness to the living word who is Jesus. Right. So Jesus is the word, which is not a false statement by no. any stretch of the imagination. He is the word. He is the logos, as you know, as we've explained in, in previous episodes. Um, but that really, so the scripture is only true insofar as it points to Jesus and most of the people who would hold to this view, because that in and of itself sounds pretty fair and reasonable and, and not problematic, but what they would say is only insofar as the scripture points to Jesus in the ways that they identify that scripture points to Jesus, is it true? Because Jesus is the truth, and Scripture is only true when it's talking about Jesus, because he is the Word. He's the living Word. That falls apart, that the perspective, although that sounds, you know, reasonable and religious and whatever else, and Mm -hmm. is being promoted by a lot of people, it falls apart when we actually look at the passages of Scripture that talk about Scripture— Right, that talk about the word, and they are clearly talking. We're, we think we're thinking of Second uh, Timothy. We're talking about First uh, Peter, I believe. Um, where no, they're talking about written documents being the word of God. So they're not saying Jesus is not the word, but they're saying that like the scriptures that have been given to you mm-hmm. are indeed the word of God. So those who might say, because then there's a very famous. And it, I don't know if most of our listeners are TikTok people, and I'm not really a TikTok person, but I know of a guy who is a quote-unquote theologian, very popular on TikTok, who his big thing is, Jesus is the word, the Bible's not the word, therefore I'm going to reject the parts of the Bible that don't align with what I feel like is consistent with the person of Jesus. And that's something, right. it's a very real thing, particularly amongst the younger generation, that we all just need to be aware of that thing is floating around and needs to be debunked because it's it's a major it's a major attack against the the inspiration of God's word. Yeah, and in in that notion what happens is we just we just get a free for all. Mm-hmm. Right? We end up with this free for all of I'm the one who's going to determine uh what what authority of scripture looks like. Right. What even constitutes scripture. Right. I'm going to write it out Mm -hmm. and it doesn't rule over me Mm. because if there's a portion of it, I don't like, I just do away with it. Right. So for example, this particular individual would say, Oh, when it, when, when the Bible talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, that is truth. And that is scripture. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus describes marriage as a, you know, a, a man leaving his mother and father and or father and mother and, and being united to his wife 
and that definition of marriage that we get from Jesus, not not you know from from him and as well as other parts of scripture. Well, that's not really it because he's totally open to the whole LGBTQ plus whatever thing. Yeah. So it's a it's a cherry picking. It's a picking and choosing. It's a you know whatever suits your fancy kind of. Thing because you can say, well, this is Jesus, this is not Jesus, this is right, and so really, what what is happening is when you cherry pick, when you when you kind of dice, try to dissect Scripture into, you know, what is inspired and what is not, what you really end up doing is creating a God in your own image, which yeah. is the essence of idolatry. So, and and this is exactly what Thomas Jefferson does. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we've talked about this before, but yeah. it's worth. It's, if you have it again, if, if you didn't last time, you should Google Thomas Jefferson's Bible because <laughs> we have it. It's so hilarious, <laughs> and it's it's literally carved up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. literally he has he's gone through. He's chosen some things. He keeps those. Yep. Everything else he just moves on from. Oh yeah. He's just like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> didn't like that. So yeah. We'll move on from There's it. There's no way he multiplied the loaves and fishes, so we'll just cut that story out. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the whole being nice part, we'll keep that in because that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's bizarre <sighs> at best. Yeah. At best. Yeah. yeah so we're going to stick with plenary inspiration. Okay. Let's do that. I think that's good. Do you want to define plenary inspiration? So the, the plenary view is that there are no parts of scripture that are more or less we could say inspired but i would prefer mm-hmm. the term inspired has has a historical basis in it so i understand that but because of how we understand the word inspired i'm going to i'm going to flip that for god breathed mm-hmm. because that's actually what scripture says yep there are no more there are no parts that are of scripture that are more or less god breathed than others that means dear listeners that the sermon on the amount the sermon on the mount or let's you know what let's go to the extreme let's go to john 3:16 mm-hmm. john 3:16 is no more inspired than that bit of leviticus that you skip over because it's <laughs> boring because we're talking about how the priests need to wash themselves yeah. after doing particular ceremonies is it m- more directly applicable sure yep sure is it, it is it more uh, emotive for you personally, of and, and possibly then more meaningful. Of course, yes. But is it less inspired? No, it, exactly. And and again, inspired not in an emotional way, but in a how it was received. Yes, delivered to us by God. Yep. Right. Uh, it it, it kind of goes. <sighs> some some people will take it this far. Some people will go so far as to say red letter Bibles are a problem because red letter Bibles place a literal visual emphasis mm. on the words of Jesus above the rest of Scripture by highlighting them yeah. for you yeah. uh, and thus causing people to believe those things more inspired than others. Yeah, I mean— I don't have a strong opinion either way. I I don't care. I have both. Yeah, like I mean, I understand where people are coming from from that, but like at the end of the day, it's you know, if you want to reject red letter Bibles, I mean, that's kind of you're kind of fighting over minutia a little bit. I you know, 
as long as people understand that, you know, if, if the red letters are merely just kind of like underlining the, the words of Christ, that's a cool thing. That's fine to do. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, this is why we're doing this. We're doing this podcast is to mm-hmm. help people. So that if you do use a red letter Bible, you're not going to be led astray in thinking that certain parts are more important than others. Yeah. Yeah. And people take the opposite side of that, too. Right. Like if it's not a red letter Bible, then you're then what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's an entire version of Christianity that came around in the I know late two thousand. I used to subscribe early two thousand tens. Yeah, for it was e- the red letter Christianity. I was, I was all into that for a little while and realized how stupid it was eventually. So, so everything in Scripture mm-hmm. is given to us by God. Yes, plenary means inspiration of the whole. Mm-hmm. Inspiration of the parts, mm-hmm. inspiration of the words, inspiration. Paul ends says of the letters. Okay. Yes. And inspiration of the New Testament. Right. Okay. Here's here's the thing that people need to understand. Right. Because I think in the modern Christian context, we are very keen to overemphasize. New Testament over Old. And there is a sense in which the New Testament explains and reveals things that are hidden in the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is full of shadows and, and um, you know, kind of, um, you know, all these, all this foreshadowing and all these pictures that, that, that are, are given their full reality in the New Testament. So that's true. I'm not denying that. Mm-hmm. But there is a movement and there has been for some time to kind of divorce Christianity from the Old Testament, but that doesn't line up with what Jesus himself did. Time and time again, he quotes the Old Testament in support of his arguments. In fact, there are times when when literally the tense of a verb is enough for Jesus to settle a debate. Mm-hmm. Like that's how that's how minute a detail he will use from the Old Testament scriptures in order to settle an argument in the Gospels. Like, so it's it's that it's that significant, right? Like, like Jesus, Jesus does these things, right? So Yeah, so so all of these from Paul Inns, this group that I read, mm-hmm. are specific instances of Jesus making a statement mm-hmm. for the graphe, yep. the written scriptures, as being inspired. Right now, when you argue for a tense, here's where I'm going to push back a little bit. All right, and I'm when you argue for a tense, you. I'm going to say that's a different word. That right. is the word. Okay. Argument for the letters that make up that word. If it changes the word, even in its tense, it's still a different word. Okay. Yeah, run okay. And, I see what you're saying. Run yeah. and ran are different words. Sure. We don't need to defend inspired to the letter. My my question would be in Hebrew. Vows aren't there mm-hmm. in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, inset vows. Do we bring in a question of are these vows, these assumed vows, inspired? What then of the words? Yeah. I think that's just too much. Also, I I, I absolutely love Paul In's Moody Handbook on Theology. Uh, I'm I'm going to disagree with him here. His main point is to say Jesus says not an iota. Mm-hmm. Which shows the emphasis even down to the letter. Mm-hmm. I 
I think we can see this as a figure of speech sure. and not as an explicit statement. Mm. Um, if the word changes, then that's the changing of the word. Uh, if it's spelled differently with or without its vowels or, or anything like that is mm-hmm. just a product of the language. Uh, but, but this is what we mean. We mean the whole and all of its pieces down to the word as they were originally delivered mm-hmm. and have been faithfully preserved. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, and I, no, and I, no, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you there. I'm just, there, there are scenarios where, where Jesus points out the specificity of Mm -hmm. how things are articulated to, to drive home a point. Yep. So the idea that the Messiah is not an equal to David, but is superior to David. He's not just a successor to David, but he's the Lord of David, right? When Jesus quotes Psalm 110 and he says, you know, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, mm-hmm. sit on my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And so David calls him the Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So the idea like Jesus, Jesus, like Here's the thing, and I, I think this, the reason I guess maybe as in personally that I want to drive this home is because people are very are not people are more likely to disregard or downplay the significance of the Old Testament. Yeah, but Jesus and the apostles don't do that. No, no, not at, at all. all. Not at all. Uh, in 1978, this was the biggest theological discussion of the time. Mm, yeah, it was. Right? It almost it almost divided the Southern Baptist Conf- uh, Convention, mm-hmm. who was moving away from inerrancy, not not holding for, Yeah, was moving away from inspiration, inerrancy, yeah. and all because of this. Because now we've kind of crossed into from point one to point two, from inspiration to now inerrancy. Right. Yeah. And so it was, it was salvaged uh, in this time at a, a meeting... Uh, called the uh, International Council of Biblical Inerrancy. It took place in Chicago. It's mm-hmm. known as the Chicago Statement for that yep. reason. Yep. This, is, this is what they landed on. Being holy and verbally God-given, mm. Scripture is without error or fault in all of its teachings, no less in what it states about God's acts and creation— about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God, mm. than it is in the witness of to God's saving grace and individual in individual lives. Mm. So they're speaking there against the dynamic view, right that, right, right? that partial view, and then they follow that with saying, with defining inerrancy, because that's after after we say okay. So we believe that in inspiration, we believe these things came from God. Mm-hmm. Were they kept? Right. And are they still vital or, or has mm-hmm. it changed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, inerrancy means, this is later on in the statement, uh, that when all the facts are known, the scriptures and their original autographs, the difference between autographs, manuscripts, and translations. Sure, yeah, yeah Autographs yeah. are the ones that were literally written by the author. Yeah, by the prophets and apostles. Manuscripts are the copies that were held and kept. 
mm-hmm. and the translations are what we hold in our hands today. Sure, sure. Um, and their original autographs and properly interpreted will be shown to holy, uh, to be wholly true in everything they teach, mm. whether that teaching has to do with doctrine, history, science, geography, geology, or other disciplines or knowledge. Yeah. So the notion is, mm-hmm. yes, these things were given by God. One of the ways we know this, and one of the ways we use the Bible, mm-hmm. is to say it is without mistake. Right. It is inerrant. Right. There's everything that it teaches will prove itself to be true. Yeah. And that's that's tricky because we acknowledge that within the process of scripture coming to be, people are involved. Mm-hmm. And we know that human beings because of sin, because of the fall, we are flawed in a variety of ways. Not not absolutely fallen so it's not uh absolute depravity as you mentioned in a recent sermon but total depravity so it's like you know kind of everything is kind of flawed to some degree now some people say that like internal arguments for authority are less valuable but i would say like this episode in particular is is less about making a convincing argument to non-believers as it is to helping people who are believers trust in the authority of Scripture. Right. Why do we believe what we believe? Exactly. So within Scripture, there are statements made that help us understand how these things came about, right? Mm -hmm. And when New Testament passages talk about the Scriptures, there is a recognition at times of Scripture's being written, right? Peter's Mm -hmm. talking about Paul and the things that he's writing as being authoritative, and you should listen to it, and you should follow it and whatnot. But in 2 Peter 1... In starting in verse 19, we have this this brief passage that I think really just kind of nails this this issue. He says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. That, I mean, that's full of imagery from the Old Testament. The la- Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, right? He says, Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So this is Peter. Mm-hmm. Who's writing Scripture? Who is using Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture? He's saying, this is not based on someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's it's important to see that like those who would claim to hold a, well, I, I, I respect the Bible and I believe the Bible's true, but I don't necessarily believe that all parts of the Bible are true or whatever, then you, you have to kind of jettison you have, to, you have to really toss out a whole lot of things, right? Like to say that I'm a biblical Christian, but I don't believe that the Bible is uh, inspired and inerrant, which is kind of how far we've gone in this conversation. You have to then jettison certain certain parts of scripture which explicitly say that. There's, there's really not, it, it's an all or nothing thing mm-hmm. when it comes to the Bible. And the Bible itself says it. It's like either you take this or you don't. Right. Right. And this whole picking and choosing and the smorgasbord and this Chinese buffet of what I like and what I don't is just not a valid opinion, according to scripture itself. Right. So the inerrancy of scripture, 
So when we talk about inerrancy, there's such a thing as inerrancy outside of the Bible. Right. So I can get a hundred percent on a map. I, I, well, I, let me, let me switch this. Uh, I could get a hundred percent on a Hebrew quiz. I just wrote a Hebrew quiz this Hypothetically, morning. Hypothetically, sure, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't get 100% on it. Okay. I, I got I got a decent mark. I got like 92% or something. But like, it's I've gotten 100% before. Not recently. But, okay. But, but it's possible. You know, there's the potential for me to get 100%. Mm-hmm. But there's also the potential for me to get something wrong. Right. Um. So, the, the argument then for inerrancy mm-hmm. is that... It happens to be right mm-hmm. where it speaks. Yeah, it's true when right. you look at it. Yeah. So to go beyond that and say not only does it happen to be true, mm-hmm. but it is always true mm-hmm. is our next word. And and these words just sort of, these words build on each other, right? They so do. At, at one point, at one point it was enough to say, I believe in the authority of Scripture, which mm-hmm. will be our last word. It w- yeah. Then people would talk about the inspiration of Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in some historical context, talking about the inspiration just assumed the authority. But over time, people just want to wiggle so much oh, yeah. on these things. They, they yeah. just want to twist and bend. Uh, there's a, a, a great lecture by R.C. Sproul on this. We've, we've rest- oh, referenced yeah. it a couple of times here uh, in Plagiarism without giving it its due credit. Um, but he talks about this bringing in the word infallible mm-hmm. and adding that to the language, uh, but being having his mind changed by J.I. Packer mm-hmm. in, in a conversation at the Chicago uh, mm-hmm. conference. So inspiration is not enough anymore mm-hmm. because people say, yes, inspired by God, brought by God, uh, but not perfect. Yeah, we're going to define what inspired right. means, right? And then they're going to say, okay, so inspired and inerrant. Inerrant, yeah, yeah. So inspired and inerrant, brought to us by God, and everything that is in it has thus far proven to be true. Mm-hmm. And then infallible, mm-hmm. to say it can only ever be true. Yeah, but the the irony is of the word infallibility being brought into the conversation was initially a pushback against inerrancy. Mm-hmm. So so initially when this word infallibility was brought up and and Sproul talks about it and we'll right. have to we'll have to drop a link or something to to this lecture cuz it's 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 worth watching folks. Mm-hmm. It really is like 30 minutes but it's it's worthwhile time. But when when this word infallibility was initially brought in, it was it was actually seen as as a way to kind of downgrade the significance of inerrancy. So the Bible might make some statements that are factually incorrect, but but it's still going to lead us in the right direction is re- in regards to you know moral and spiritual truth. Right. So that was that was how infallibility was brought into the conversation, right? And and it was in part because the term inerrancy had a lot of baggage at the time, right? In the same way that words like evangelical or fundamental have a lot of baggage now, mm-hmm. right? Because fundam- when he- people hear the word fundamental, they think of, you know, church organizations that are hyper-legalistic. 
or when they hear the word evangelical, they think of a voting block in the United States. Right. But in reality, what those words mean, like, I am evangelical and fundamental unapologetically, mm-hmm. but because of our culture and because of those situations, those words mean slightly different things than what they ought to mean. Right. So this in, this word infallibility was brought in because inerrancy had all this baggage and the people wanted to distance them, themselves from that. But what was initially presented as a downgrade actually strengthened the view of Scripture because those who were arguing for inerrancy said, oh no, we'll take that infallibility and we will apply that correctly to Scripture because infallibility doesn't mean that Scripture can't isn't wrong. It means that it can't be wrong. Right. And so it's in fact or advice, right? Mm. So the facts within the Bible— are actual truth, Mm -hmm. and all the advice that it gives is true and right advice. Mm -hmm. So infallible is, could never fail in fact or advice, Mm -hmm. right? So we have the Bible is inspired, Mm -hmm. inerrant, Mm -hmm. and infallible. Right. And the last one that we throw in the term is authoritative. Wait, can I... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to add one more thing to this term infallible. Because mm-hmm. just because of the irony of of the initial move to for it to be a downgrade from inerrancy, here's the thing. Humans can be, at least at in certain times and situations, we can be inerrant, right? I can get that 100% on a Hebrew quiz, right? But I will never, never be infallible. Right. Like, right, like I, I think Sproul says, not for five seconds has any human being been infallible, right? Our inerrancy is temporary, it's limited, but none of us are infallible. None of us are incapable of being wrong. And so, so we just need to understand that inspiration built upon that inerrancy, built upon that infallibility are just these increasing degrees of cementing what becomes the authority, which is the thing you were about to talk about that I totally cut you off on, and I'm sorry. Yeah, my only note on authority is do the math. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. so do you believe that God gave the Bible? Right. Yes. Yeah. Do you believe that there are no mistakes— in what God delivered. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you believe that that inerrancy is not only in fact, but also in advice? Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you submit yourself to this God-given, inerrant, and infallible mm-hmm. word? Right. No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I got my own thoughts. <laughs> I'm going to be my own man. Right. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. Right, it, right. Authority has to be the logical outcome. Of course. Right. One of the things that BB Warfield, uh, he has this this great epitome mm-hmm. on uh, called the inspiration and authority of the Bible. Right. And and what Warfield offers to us is his three points on why especially on inspiration, but on, on all of these, because he mentions mentions all of them sort of under the umbrella of inspiration. Uh, not because the other ones he's ignoring, but because he was early enough 
we hadn't confused the idea of inspiration to the point that we needed to say inerrancy and infallible right, right, and authoritative. Right. So, so he makes three points on this. One, he says, it is not a position that came to be. It's a position that was. Right. At, so we can't look back across church history and say, at this point, it was determined that the Bible was the inspired and thusly inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. Mm-hmm. It's always been the position. Yeah. And it's only been in the last 150, maybe 200 years that people have actually chosen to question that at all. Yeah. Uh, people within the church question that. Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. 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 It was the position in church history. Mm-hmm. You read Origen. He talks about the scriptures, mm-hmm. the various letters sent out as the word of God, mm-hmm. right? That was the position historically. Uh, and he it is the position within scripture, as you mentioned, right? Like yeah. these, uh, the apostles encouraging the churches to read these letters. Yeah, Paul says, read this letter, pass it along, and you should also read the letter that I wrote you know, to other people, yeah. right? And you should also read the letters by Paul. And and passing them along, yeah. Yep. And so, this has always been the position. It never it never came to be. It's the historical position, and mm. and that in recent years, here here's what here's how the argument sort of plays out in my head. Mm. We I complain a lot about our current place and the generational arrogance that we have at this point in time. But when liberal theology came along in the 20th century mm-hmm. and started introducing these, well, inspired, but, inerrant, but that doesn't include, right? All, all of these kinds of twists on how it is that we're supposed to read the Word of God. What their argument was to, was to say is, we have come to a place of sophistication and intellect where we know better where this word came from than the people who were there. <laughs> right? Yeah. I know more it is. It about is. what Peter meant than Peter knew right. about what he meant. Right. Right? Yeah. Does that play out with some of the Old Testament stuff? Yes. There is a progress of revelation sure. that Jesus unveils mm-hmm. and that the apostles unveil. Mm-hmm. Since the closing of the canon, no, you don't know more about this than the people who wrote it. Right. Right? And if they are going to claim, this has been given to me by God. Mm -hmm. Not just, I was sitting in my room, and I got to thinking, and it's I I got all the fuzzies and and got up all in my feels, and and at that point, I was just like, this must be the Holy Spirit moving. I'm going to write it down. Right? Yeah. Paul says, I was basically evacuated from this place taken up into a third heaven, and this is what God gave me, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I'm passing that along to you, right? right? Uh, if this has always been the position, at what point are we comfortable saying, from 2,000 years of space, mm-hmm. I'm the better judge of this? Right, right. Yeah, right? for sure. Now, the chance may come that you hear this and you think, that was a bit of a wasted episode because <laughs> everyone that I know believes in the Bible. Sure. And and this is where 
you have to define what it is when we say believe in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? The inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's what it, we mean when we say we believe in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's not what everyone believes. Right. Right? And so, you may look to uh, cults who use mm-hmm. the Bible. Sure. Jehovah's Witness. Yep. The Mormons. Sure. Mormons will tell you, like, yeah, we have other books, but of course we use the Bible. Yeah, we love the Bible. The truth is, they don't. Um, <laughs> the Jehovah's Witness do, but they mm-hmm. interpret it through a very unbiblical lens. And they have a very poor translation, which mm-hmm. we addressed last week. Yeah. So they use the Bible. They would say they believe in the Bible. Mm-hmm. They would not call it the inspired, inerrant, uh, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Liberal theology, mm-hmm. United Church, right? Yeah, uh, Presbyterian Church of Canada, mm-hmm. um, the Lutheran Church. I mean, how bizarre! Mm-hmm. After having done the Church History podcast, yeah, to look at that group that comes from Luther, yeah, and say everything that Luther formed in the foundations of the Reformation were based on getting his hands on the Bible mm-hmm. and saying the church's interpretation and picking and choosing what they want to keep and what they want to throw away has distorted the word of God. Yeah. This is the appropriate interpretation of scripture because when you read it, it's just obviously there. And I don't care what your interpretation or not even an interpretation. I don't care what it is you're trying to add to it right, or subtract from it. I'm going to stick to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. Yeah. Uh, yeah at least in our Canadian context, uh, if Martin Luther had a time machine, he'd burn the Lutheran Church of Canada to the ground. <laughs> he would. Like, he and, just would. And, and if you if you disagree, send me an email. But, like, he would. And so, <laughs> we're not promoting arson. No, I'm not promoting it. In I'm a, just saying a, what we know of Luther because he was... Figura- a, in a figurative was, way in which he stood up against well, he the, was, the no, Catholic Church he, he and was said, a flawed, he absolutely was a, not. He was a flawed man and he had an anger problem. <laughs> we, I don't know that you can project onto him that he would burn a church down. That's just much. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I don't know, man. Okay, fair enough. Fair Did he enough, ever burn enough. a church? I'll back down. Did he burn back... a Catholic church down? No. Okay, then you're projecting. All much. Right. That's my point. Fine. Okay, fine. All right. Yes. Uh, Anabaptist churches. Yeah. Because because this is a point where people are going to be like, oh, I, I feel like you're throwing mm. people under a bus and you shouldn't, right? Yeah. But even this is a statement mm-hmm. from the anabaptistworld.org. Okay. Right? Where it says... Those who adhere to inerrancy sometimes treat the Bible like a supernaturally perfect book, which embodies God. Correction, Mm -hmm. we do treat it like a supernaturally perfect book. Mm -hmm. It does not embody God. Of course not. We've already discussed that. Every being is beyond the book that they produce. God is not the Bible. Right. But, according to this article... The God who created the universe cannot be confined to the pages of a text. Of course not. Agreed. We do not worship Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Barf. I hear this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people over there, the the Baptists, the Reformed, they believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. No, we believe that 
the Bible is an act of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That that's the person of God who does the inspiration, right? Yeah. And therefore, it is meaningful and authoritative, but not to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. We don't take our opportunity to say, let's all pray to the Bible. Right. We say, let's take the words from the Bible to shape the way we pray to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Exactly. So his argument is to say, we don't worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Scripture, but the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The debate about biblical inerrancy distracts the church from its primary mission of proclaiming the gospel and being communities of healing and hope. How do you know that the primary mission of the church is to promote the gospel? Because you've chosen certain parts of the Bible to make primary. (laughs) Because it's in the Bible. No, I don't. (laughs) Yes, we need to revere the Bible. Right. But there is far more fruit in reading and obeying it rather than defending its inerrancy through uh, convoluted mental gymnastics. <laughs> it's a, we need to read it and obey it. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do I need to obey this book? It's a 2,000-year-old book. It mm-hmm. might not even be relevant to my context today. Right. Why do I need to, re- why do I need to obey it? Right. Why? Is, is it the wor- because it's the Word of God? Right. Because it's the Word of God without error? <laughs> because it's the Word of God that is without error and infallible? Right, right, right. That's why I need to obey it. What does it mean to obey it? It means to recognize its authority. Of course. Right? Yeah. Um, so in this case, I know that Menno Simons was a pacifist, so he definitely wouldn't have burnt down any Mennonite churches. Uh, I can say that with with a degree of certainty. But uh, he would have had very little to do with modern... Because when we say Anabaptist, that is the Mennonite. that They're synonymous with each other. Uh, he would have had very little to do <laughs> with the modern movement. And, and it goes on to say this. <laughs> rather... Okay. Rather, our faith depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the important thing. Okay. The empty tomb, the risen Christ. Mm. Okay. Again, events right. <laughs> that are only kept for us in Scripture. Right. And if we make those things rightly preeminent issues in our faith, then what we are doing is subjecting ourselves to the authority of the Scripture. His proof of this. Mm. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. A quote from Paul, from the Bible. <laughs> but thanks be to God that our faith does not depend on the certainty of every detail recorded in the Bible, but on the fully reliable and trustworthy record of firsthand witnesses who testify Christ's sacred death and glorious resurrection. Which are written down in Scripture. Right. So, so this, is, this is an interesting thing. This is where the Anabaptists are different from liberal theology. Right, sure, sure. Yeah, so, we have to give them some credit here, yeah. So this is where this is where they're different. Right. Anabaptists straddle this strange line mm. between the liberal theology crowd mm-hmm. and what would have now too much baggage but would be traditionally known as the fundamentalist conservative or we'll use the word orthodox or biblical crowd 
they they try to straddle this line sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and as is stated in here, he gives every good and right reason why we believe in the Bible as inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative. Mm-hmm. Yet refuses to use those words. Yeah. And argues that those that the discussion is a distraction. Right. That the use of those words is a distraction. So your Anabaptist brothers and sisters in Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. They're not rejecting the word of God. No, 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 no. By in great large subjecting themselves to the word of God in the same way you are. Mm-hmm. But also not wanting to have a conversation and rejecting the conversation even at the academic level mm-hmm. of how we define the greatness of the Bible, mm-hmm. how it came to us, and why we subject ourselves to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, and because they don't draw those hard lines, they because they don't have those, they haven't built those those walls. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that walls are kind of viewed as this negative thing, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes the walls keep wolves out. Because they haven't built those walls, right? they've allowed wolves in. In our own contemporary context within the Anabaptist circles, I'll, I'll name them. I'm not ashamed to name them. Bruxy Cavey got in. Bruxy Cavey denies not only just biblical interpretations of like gender and sexuality, which is one thing, but which is a secondary issue, he denies the biblical view of the atonement, which is a primary issue. And he was their golden boy. Right. And, and to be honest with you, in our own backyard. To be honest with you, he, with the very gospel coalition that will carry this podcast, yeah. he did a series of interviews with mm-hmm. Paul Carter. Mm-hmm. And this was exactly his position. Sure. And, and so. This isn't a, like this isn't an article written by Bruxy, and it's not grabbing someone else that agrees with him. This is the general view, yeah. right? And this so, is the framework within which he's allowed to operate, right? So there's this peculiarity in the Anabaptist movement to say yes, but no, right? To say we agree with you, but we also don't want to have lunch with you mm-hmm. um, because we're I, I don't know maybe. Maybe there's some lingering thing of like wanting to be more open, uh, or or you know there there was part of part of what brought on liberal theology was the idea of being seen as more academic, those kinds of things. Um, may, maybe there's something to that that they're playing toward. I, I don't know playing towards sort of like a secular view. I, I don't know. I don't know what inspires it. I just know that one, it drives me crazy because they're they're attesting the same things that I would attest. And then we say, oh, so we agree. And they'd be like, no. Be no. Like, yeah, but we, d- <laughs> okay. I, I've had this conversation personally with a number of Anabaptists, oh, uh, no. just trying to be like, hey, let's just, let's just talk through it. Um, just because sometimes you just want to see if it's real, right? You just want to reach out and feel it and see if it's real. Mm-hmm. And it is. Uh, but, but yeah, you're right. They, they've left, they've left the door open mm-hmm. and that's a dangerous thing. So why do we need to talk about a, the scriptures specifically as being mm-hmm. inspired, inerrant, uh, infallible and authoritative? Mm-hmm. We do that because we need to make sure that we don't leave the door open. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. And and we want to inform that opinion. Mm-hmm. What does it mean when we say these things yeah. about the Word of God? Is there a measure of faith that goes into that? Yes. Yeah. Am I afraid of that? No. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. So, And we need to be able to distinguish... Uh, the last thing I'll say is we need to be able to distinguish because there are there are different traditions and denominations, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be able to distinguish between traditions of of the church that interpret particular matters of doctrine differently, but still stand upon the author- authority, infallibility, inerrancy of the word. Right. Right. So. They stand on those same things, but they baptize babies, for example. Mm-hmm. Or they, they stand on those same things, but their church governance looks different than ours. They speak in tongues. Or even they speak in tongues. That is, that is a particular degree of difference, and that's fair. Mm-hmm. And we, there, we, you know, we can distinguish ourselves from, from different things. But it's something entirely different. When, when, some, when, a, when a church organization, denomination, or whatever doesn't just interpret the scripture differently, but views scripture differently. Yeah, defines scripture differently. Yeah. And so we have far more in common with denominations that might practice certain things differently than we do, but still retains the authority of scripture as opposed to groups that on the surface might look like us, mm-hmm. but underneath do not recognize the authority of God's word. Yeah, And that's something that like, we just kind of got to figure out as we go along. Yeah, and this has been going on since the Reformation. This is the oh, point yeah, of the Reformation, right? Oh, yeah, it's not right? new. This is not the, new. The point of the Reformation was that the Catholic Church, by that point, had reinterpreted Scripture to be on par with all of the illuminations that the Church had traditionally come up with. Mm-hmm. So when the church councils sit down together and had a chat that was the same as scripture being written mm-hmm. and in doing that they had their attempt was to elevate their church councils and their their church leadership what they end up doing is actually just degradating the bible um that's exactly what uh the mormons are going to do when they start adding other scriptures to it right they get to a point where eventually they don't even use uh the bible for anything at all anymore right um, that's just what happens to it. It, it just, it just degrades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is why we cling to it so dearly. Uh, that's why we say that this speaks over my life and changes my life, controls, right? Not o- no longer conforming to the patterns of the world, mm-hmm. but being transformed by the renewing of our minds mm-hmm. so that we can test and prove God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, that's how we receive and utilize the Bible mm-hmm. as, once again, inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. <laughs>